Well, good morning again. Uh, there was a number of us that went about two weeks ago down to Baton Rouge in, in the area of Denham Springs and Central uh, was the name of the town or the city there uh, in Louisiana. We heard this story of Sadi, was a guy that we met, S-A-D-I. Uh, he had come up, he had also heard about the flooding, and he came up almost immediately from Miami, Florida area. And so if, uh, if you realize it, we didn't until we heard his story. There was actually two floods that happened within about a two or three day period. And so he had driven up from Florida, he was a, a contractor, and he had thrown all of his uh, stuff in his minivan that he worked out of, and he had driven uh, there towards Baton Rouge. And as he was coming in on Interstate 12, uh, it became obvious that traffic was stopped for, for one reason or another, and he realized it was because uh, flooding had started to come back up again and overtake the interstate. And so as he's sitting in traffic, in this traffic jam, the realization as he's sitting there is that the water was now coming up, and he's in this traffic jam, unable to get away as the water starts to come in around him. And so as he sits there, uh, he, over time, they realize they are not going to be able to get off of the interstate, and it's getting darker and darker, and as evening uh, comes and evening becomes night, he finds himself climbing onto the roof of his minivan, and there is no light anywhere because everyone's headlights and everything else had now been submerged. And so he's sitting on his minivan waiting to find morning. And he said it was one of the scariest nights he'd ever been. He was from South Florida. And so in his mind, all he could think is as this water is coming up and he's realizing that the, that the van is starting to, they, they had gotten three or four gentlemen all on the one vehicle and the van is starting to kind of get pushed around a little bit in the water, starting to move around. They had gotten that much buoyancy in it. And all he could think about is out there somewhere in his mind, he could imagine uh, gators uh, because he was from South Florida. And all he could think is they are in the water all around. And he said that you could not see a light anywhere. It was one of those dark nights and he just sat, this was the longest night of my life, just sitting on the roof of the car. Uh, and it wasn't until the next morning that they were able to get uh, rescue boats to come in and pull uh, the rest of the people off of this interstate of the area that he was stuck in. We met Saudi, you know, as I said, a few weeks later. He went through that experience, uh, found a way, got a bus ticket, got himself back to Florida, and then took a second vehicle, took his mother's car, and came back again to help. Now he had no equipment, no tools, because they had all been lost in the initial flood. And that was when we met him, uh, when we were uh, working together to clear out a house uh, for someone. It's a powerful story, but I, the reason why I tell it is because of the the darkness that's surrounding. We're going to kind of use that analogy this morning of the darkness versus the light. And if you can imagine what it was like for him to be there peering out into the darkness, not knowing what's out there, having no sign of light, and just the fear of what is lurking out there and waiting. Uh, CNN yesterday morning, I know that it's been resolved now, but this was the way that the headline read on CNN. A man carrying a rifle entered a Macy's store at a mall in Washington State shot dead four women and a man, and then vanished into the night. And then there was officers looking all night long, looking and trying to find. There's something very ominous about the darkness that seems to be closing in, uh, when that's just kind of hanging over your head, and just it seems as though the darkness is everywhere. So the question I want to ask you this morning, when we see injustice and darkness in the world, how are we to respond? When we see darkness and injustice in the world, and some of you can see it, the idea that you could see darkness, yes, you can. You can see the darkness around you. How are we to respond? 
First, let's open our Bibles, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 5. This is your response. Go back to the day you were once adopted by the Father of light. That's a fill-in. If you're filling in with us this morning and following along in your bulletins, uh, there should be an insert and you can follow along and fill that in. Uh, and when we see justice and darkness in the world, how are we to respond? Go back to the day you were once adopted by the Father of light. So if you've got your own Bibles, and I hope you do, if not, you've got in the, in the pew back in front of you, the NIV version is what we're working with today. And so if you're following along with uh, uh, iDevice or something like that, we're going to be in the New International Version just so that we can all be on the same page. As we've looked through Ephesians, we're a couple weeks into the series, Better Together, uh, we need to be reminded that Paul is writing a letter to a quote-unquote healthy church. Ephesians does seem to be written to a broader group of individuals. He's not writing this to one person or even one group of people. He's writing it to a, a broad group of people. He's writing it to the, the people there in Ephesus. And last week in our series, Better Together, we, we used the old hymn of Amazing Grace and, and, and answered that question, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And we talked about how Paul has written his words last week. We went through the end of chapter 4 of, of putting off the old way of life and putting on the new man in Jesus Christ. But today we'll start, Paul sums up really all of the thesis that he's been building in this one command. We are to follow God's example or to be imitators of God, your translation may say, and to walk in love. So let's start there together. We're in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, contrary to popular thought, all people are not children of God. I want to put that there just as a baseline so you understand where I'm coming from. Not all people are children of God. There's the general sense that we are all God's children because we were all created by God. We all start at the same spot. We all start in the Garden of Eden. We all put our family history goes back there. But the Bible is clear. We become children of God when we are born into his family through a spiritual new birth. And we need to start with that foundation this morning as a launching point that this is the only way that you can call yourself a child of God. Uh, J.I. Packer and kind of his main work that most people know him for in, the, in knowing God he writes this, what is a Christian? This question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is this. A Christian is one who has God for a father. A Christian is the one who has God for a father. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Earlier in the book of Ephesians, chapter, we're in chapter 5, verse 1. In chapter 1, verse 5, it said this. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Adoption is a picture that emphasizes God's sovereign choice to call us as his own children. Just as parents who go through an adoption process, and many parents in this room, we have a high number of people who have gone through adoption, have been adopted, understand that world all too well. But as parents go through the adoption process and they decide on the child they wish to adopt, so God chooses and has chose before the foundation of the world who he adopts as his own. 
What the difference is, you and I, as human parents, as some of you have walked through this process, I had a friend who talked to me about this. He said, it was difficult for me when the adoption agency asked me those questions to say, what would you prefer? What would be the child that you would want to bring into your home if they had some form of disability? How far are you willing to go before you would cut off this adoption? And all those questions have to be answered before you can even start the process. You see, as humans, we often pick those who are most attractive to us or those who fit our home the best or those who are at the correct age. But God chose us knowing that we would be sinful, knowing that we would be rebellious towards him. You will never understand the great love of God and until you understand the depths and the and height and the depth of the love that he has and the, of the depths of sin that he has pulled you and me from. From the gutters of sin, by grace he has brought you and me into his house and gave us all the privileges of being called children of God. So we must first go back to the day you were once adopted by the Father of light. Here the passage says to imitate God. We must know him and his ways if we are to imitate him. Many of you know, and if you don't, I'm a, I'm a big Jimmy Fallon fan. I think that he's hilarious. I enjoy the show. I watch it often. But one of the reasons why he is so famous and so good at what he does is he is incredibly good at impersonations. Uh, he does it incredibly well. He does a pretty good Trump impersonation. Whether it's accurate or not, it's just what he does. But the only way that he can do an impersonation or the very best impersonations he can do is be around the people or know the people that he is impersonating. So you'd have to assume that he's watched, certainly at least watched hours and hours of footage of the person that he's impersonating. Uh, if he is trying to imitate that person, that means he has to know them and their mannerisms. A child who spends very little time with their father would not be greatly influenced by him. Influence is directly proportional to how much time you spend together. When a father spends time with his children, then the children pick up the mannerisms of their father. They will see the moral standards by which he lives, lives by. They will hear his language. They will see how he interacts with their mother. All of those things are picked up when you see that and you say, imitate my father. It's that way you see that speech and the way that they carry themselves, whether it's positive or negative, whether it's abusive or whole. The way that that happens is it's imitated because it, it's experienced. What are the mannerisms of the father of light that we are to imitate? What are the mannerisms of the father of light that we are to imitate? Going back to chapter 5, let's look at verse 3. He gives us a description of where we start. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Verse 4, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are all out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person would be an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. He's laying out the foundation that if you're going to be a child of life, if you're going to be one of my children, this is how you behave. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not partner yourself or do not be partners with them. 
If you want God to change you so that you imitate him the way you think and the way you act and the way you live and the way you respond emotionally and how you relate to others, how you deal with trials of this world when they come and they will come, you must be diligent to spend consistent time alone with him. There are no shortcuts. Time is a consistent way to find out the mannerisms of the Father of light. So go back to the first question. When we see injustice and darkness in the world, how are we to respond? First, we go back to the day that we were adopted. Secondly, this is how you live. Children of light are seen walking in the darkness. Children of light are seen walking in the darkness. Verse 8. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So historically, there have been two wrong extremes in how Christians have responded to the difficult issue of darkness and how it's out there. Once time you were in darkness, but now you're in the light of the Lord. So some Christians have overemphasized the need to be separate from this evil and dark world by pulling themselves, withdrawing themselves from almost all contact with the world, with their activities, and what any have any appearance of the world. One prominent example, and I'm using them just as an example because we all know who it is, is, is the Amish culture. That was what's going on in the Amish culture. They've withdrawn themselves from society to a point where they say, we will not be affected and infected by the darkness of this world. But what has happened in that is it's created this subculture uh, of, of really this uh, isolationist culture. Monasticism does the same thing. If you go and you just close yourself off to the rest of the world in a monastery and say, I'm going to serve the Lord, I'm going to serve the Lord here and in this way, and I'm not going to have any connection to the outside world, there's a damaging effect that happens there because there's, they're not distinct from culture because they're not even in culture. So that's the first mistake. Second, other Christians, in an attempt to relate to the lost, become so much like the world and its attitudes and their behaviors that there's no actually measurable difference between them and the other people in their community. They often err by playing down certain biblical truths that are offensive to people. They say, we don't want to talk about hell because that would be offensive. We don't want to talk about how you actually live your life or the fact that you should uh, get married before you live together. We're not going to talk about those type of things because it would be judgment. And in doing so, they compromise the gospel and become like the world. You see, there's got to be somewhere in between that you can be loving to the people in your community, that you can actually demonstrate what the gospel is and what it looks like without going to the extreme at either end of the spectrum because both of them are damaging. See, children of light should be seen walking in this balance. They should be children of light that are going to be seen in the darkness. Jesus deals with this in John 17. He says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am of the world, but sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. This is what Jesus is saying, that we are to be, as you've heard before, we are to be in the world, yet not to be of the world. That's what Jesus was when he walked the earth. He was in this world. He was here, but he was not of the world. Light can always be seen in darkness. 
light can always be seen in darkness. When you go camping with your kids and they've got a flashlight late at night and they think that you can't see them, they're like, oh, I'm going to stay up and we're going to talk all night and we're going to read our book or whatever it is. As soon as they turn on that light, what happens? If you're in a separate tent, the whole tent just boop, just glows. Light can always be seen in darkness. Children's of light are walking in the darkness. Next point, children of light expose the deeds of darkness. We're going to spend some time here this morning, particularly with Freedom Sunday. The children of light expose the deeds of darkness. Verse 11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead do what? Expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Do you remember the Old Testament story of King David? Where, where he is this beloved poet, king of Israel, he wakes up one spring morning and looks out across the city and he sees what? He sees this woman that he desires to be his wife. He decides he wants to take her. He abuses his authority as king and says, she is going to be mine. And so he orchestrates it so that her husband would be killed in battle. He murders her husband so that he could have this woman. But what is the result of that? In 2 Samuel, Samuel chapter 12, the prophet Nathan comes and he does what? He exposes the sin. He calls King David out for his primarily abuse of power and what evil he has done. What King David thinks was done in the dark recesses of his mind or, or what no one else knows. Then David says, no, wait a minute. We have to expose the condition of your heart here. We are told to do that. Children of light, expose the deeds of the darkness. Now you might look at that text and, and think, oh, this is ancient literature. These stories are old and maybe, maybe this is something that we've kind of moved forward from. We'd like to imagine that our world has changed and it's different and it's less brutal and just lives are actually taken care of, but it's simply not true. King David's story is just as current as our, in our world as it was thousands of years ago. The darkness is still there. Let me give you a couple of statistics. And, and Cliff started to share some of this this morning. I want to give you a few more. According to the Walk Free Foundation, there are over 45 million people in the world who live as slaves. 45 million people in the world. That's larger than a number of countries. Over 100 countries aren't even that size. 45 million is more slaves than were trafficked during the 400 years of the transatlantic slave trade. 45 million people enslaved today is more than any other time in human history. How is this possible? How is it possible that 45 million people could be living in slavery and we don't even know it? If you read our newsletter article this week, and, and Cliff wrote it, he said at the beginning of it, he said, I th when I, I read in history books, I thought that slavery was over with the Emancipation Proclamation. I thought that was it. It's done. It's through. Hasn't slavery ended? Isn't slavery just something that we see in history books? Slavery still exists. And it's not in my world, and it's probably not in your world. But this morning, I want to introduce you to Kumar with a video. It is part of Kumar's world for sure. Let's show that video this morning.
you're working 14, 18 hour days with very little sleep, no freedom, dignity is taken away from them. And, and that's something nobody should have to endure. We had a number of years ago, two of the model laborers escaped from a facility. And they were tracked down by the owners of the facility and, and brought back. And as a punishment for what they had done, their hands were chopped off. We would go to the government officers and we'd say, sir, there is a bonded labor case. And almost always the response was, there is no bonded labor in my area. What are you talking? This is Kumar. He was abandoned by his mother, and his father was suddenly killed. Orphaned and alone, he was accountable for his parents' debts. And at just seven years old, he was forced into slavery. Kumar remembers a day where he was so ill he couldn't get out of bed. Immediately, his owner came looking for him. Kumar was trapped by debt and a slave owner who beat him continuously. He, like so many, had no remaining hope for a way out. Imagine, if you will, you're seven years old, you're orphaned, and you're alone. The only family you know has sold you into slavery to a brick kiln owner, a harsh man who yells at you, ignores you. The reason that Kumar was in this situation, that his parents owed a debt, and then when they died, the debt still had to be paid, and so Kumar was responsible. The man forces you to wake up before the sun and join dozens of others who are molding, hauling, and stacking these heavy clay bricks. You saw me trying to hold one this morning. You're confused. You're afraid. You don't know that you're a slave. This is all that you know. You're only a child. This is Kumar's life and a story shared, as I shared earlier, 45 million times over. I wish I could say that it was just his story, but it's not. He's what, of, of 12 million of those slaves are children in India alone. Just to be clear, a third of the world's slaves are estimated to live in India. 12 million people who are made in God's image but have been reduced to a thing, a non-person, a slave. What do we do with this information? How do we... How do we respond to Kumar's reality, the reality of millions of others? How do we respond to this kind of injustice? Well, children of light expose the deeds of darkness. 
Look what Jesus did to expose the darkness. As he's beginning his ministry, he exposes darkness. In Luke 4, it talks about when he's moving into the temple and he starts reading these words. <coughs> he stood up to read, it says, verse 16 of chapter 4. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed him. Unrolling it, he found the place it was written, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were on him. Jesus exposed them. The first thing that Jesus did in ministry, his first steps that he was taking to say, I'm, I'm going to now interact with this world, was to expose injustice. And using Isaiah's words, he dealt with these four things. He was going to bring good news to the poor. He would proclaim the release of the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and let the oppressed go free. Jesus is declaring that the very, very good news that he is offering freedom for all who seek to imprison those he loves, he's giving them freedom. And the proclamation of Jesus is extended to people like Kumar, those physically imprisoned by other people. Jesus' words are not 2,000 years old and not effective. They are real for us today. We need to pay attention to them. We need to be aware that his words are alive and active. And if that's the case, then we need to be aware of how we should respond. Bringing good news to the poor, proclaiming release to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, and letting the oppressed go free. As you might expect, it would not show Kumar's story if that was the end of the story. There's more to it than that. Let's watch a video of the recovery of Kumar. IJM discovered the horrific conditions in the brick factory where Kumar and others were being forced to work against their will. And, based on their undercover video evidence, local government authorities and police came alongside IJM to conduct a rescue operation. The more and more we are doing these rescues, people are getting aware that people are being abused, there is bonded labor, there is trafficking. Also, the law is going to take its course as well as perpetrators go behind. When the team arrived in the morning and entered the brick factory, 15 men, women, and children were rescued and given their freedom back. Then, they were each given a certificate to prove that they no longer owe any debts to their former owner. And one was for Kumar. After being rescued, IJM placed Kumar in their aftercare program to heal. You'd ask him a question anytime, no matter what, and he would say, the one thing I want to do, sir, is I want to study. He was clear about that. And then, they enrolled him in school for the first time. 
Today, he is studying to be a social worker to help those still suffering like he did. And what we do at IJM is we go look for that lost sheep, that girl that's being abused, that widow who's been run out of her home. And we will search for her until we find her. That's how our Father has loved us. That's how we are called to love others. Not to search for them until we've satisfied ourselves. Not to search for them until it gets really hard but to go after them until we find them, to be relentless in our love. Kumar remembers the day of his rescue as a quick, life-changing turn of events but really it had taken months and months of planning, as you saw in the video there, just the, the little snippets of it, of what that rescue would look like and how they were gonna have to work with the staff and the local authorities to be able to make that happen. They documented legal evidence. They brought Kumar and the other slaves to freedom. This is the good news, the freedom from oppression, because the work of God's people were following in the footsteps of Jesus. See, children of light are walking in the darkness. Children of light are exposing uh, the deeds of darkness. But let's not forget that children of light are powered by the sun. Children of light are powered by the sun. Verse 13, but when anything is exposed to light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Jesus Christ will shine on you. Now here's the question, how are we supposed to do this? Now I'll admit the idea of being powered by the sun, as I wrote that, it's a little corny, it's a little churchy, but stick with me for a minute, would you? If we were to be powered by the sun, how are we going to do this? You see, usually a message like this goes moralistic. Here's what you do. Do this, do this, do this, and don't do that. Here's a list of rules of how you walk as children of light. Here are the things that you have to do, and here are the things that you can't do. You know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they call this something. They call it white-knuckle sobriety. White-knuckle sobriety, meaning you followed all the rules and you got through it. But you know, you could be an atheist and you could give people a list of do's and don'ts and if they live enough of the do's then they'd be okay. But that seems to be a little bit messed up. That seems to be the wrong approach. So the question is, how do we not live in darkness and walk as children of light? How do we do that? How do we follow through? How do we, how do we live a life that demonstrates Jesus Christ when we know that we are dark? There's parts of us that are still dark ourselves. We have to go back to the beginning where you and I have been adopted by the Father of light. How are you going to know what to do, what's right and what's wrong? Not by focusing on yourself, but getting to know God himself. 
You ever see a kid who's adopted? It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? A kid who doesn't have a dad, and then now they have a dad. A chance to change their whole life. Everything changes because of who their new dad is. We need to see the context as well of what Paul is writing here. In Paul's day, they're part of the Roman Empire. And those kids who were born that day were born into poverty, particularly into poor families, and at times were often discarded. Infant mortality rates were incredibly high. Some theologians say 40% of children died by their fifth birthday. Kids died young. They tended not to even name a child until it was a week old in that culture because they weren't sure if it was going to make it that long. They died that first week far too often. You know what happened? When Christianity started to spread through the Roman Empire, you know what the churches started doing? They started adopting these kids. So Christians would literally go out and find those who were orphaned and those who had been thrown away in the trash dump and a baby that was, ad- was abandoned in the wilderness. He says, why don't you come here? Uh, I'm going to take you home. Uh, those, oh, you're going to allow your child to be sold into slavery? Why don't you come with me instead? I'll pay your debt. Give that baby to me. And what Christians started doing is they started taking children in as their own. They started adopting them. And why? Because your theology informs your activity. Your theology will inform your activity. Why? Because Jesus Christ was adopted. God came to the earth as Jesus, and he didn't have an earthly father. He was adopted by this man that we know as Joseph. And if Jesus was adopted, then adoption is good. Not only was Jesus adopted through Jesus, we are adopted. And so I want you to remember this morning that you and I, we are adopted as children of light. We will shine better together as this series is teaching us. How do we do that? Verse 15, check this out. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. 18, do not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead be filled with the Spirit. 19, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We will shine better together. In that video, that last illustration said, we are going out, we are looking, we're not giving up, we are looking for that last one, for those who are still enslaved, those who are not free, we are looking. Doesn't it make a difference when there's more lights out there? Doesn't it make a difference when the lights are all shined in the same direction? You ever drove a vehicle where one of your headlights is aimed off into the woods? It doesn't do you any good. It's a distraction. It's dangerous. Same thing can happen in our churches, but when we're all focused and united, we are better together. We shine better together. In verse 15, it says, or 16, we are making most of every opportunity. Today, hopefully, you see this as an opportunity. You see this as a way to get involved, perhaps. And and Cliff will be in the back. He's got a kiosk out there to be able to give you more details of how you could get involved specifically with IJM if you choose to. But today is more about helping you see the difference between a church and a people who are inward focused and a church and a people who realize it is our responsibility and God is calling us to go after those. Why? Because we are adopted as children of light. 
Jesus has called us to be like him, to be people of love and compassion, to be people who use our power and our resources to set others free. That's what it looks like to be a child of light. Dear Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we pray that you've challenged us. We, we are adopted. You have paid the ultimate price. You have purchased our pardon and set us free. And so going with that, Lord, we need to live as children of light. We need to be in the darkness looking for others. A very practical way may be getting involved with international justice mission. But it might be getting involved with things right here in our local context as well. Lord, as we look at what the world has and what we have, Lord, all the resources that we have ourselves are the ones that you've given to us. The moment as we sing, I surrender all, Lord, our hearts need to have that approach. Say, it is all yours. God, what is it that you've got for me to do? What, what, who do you want me to be looking for? How do I live this life as an adopted child of the Father of light? What is it that you have for me? Lord, I pray that there are people in this room this morning that your word has cut deep today. That there is an action step that they need to take today. I pray that you would give them the guts to respond. We thank you for your word. We are better together. I thank you for how it unites us together and allows us to see the bigger picture of yourself at work. Connect us to that movement, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.